0: The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Glory be to Thee, O Lord. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following Him because they saw the signs that He was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there He sat down with His disciples. Now the Passover... The feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the Gospel of the Lord. know a pastor who is pretty much a smart aleck most of the time, and he was telling me a story once about a conversation he had with somebody who was complaining about what God had done to them. They were angry at God, upset about how things had gone, what they had been deprived of, what had been taken from them, and they said, look, on the last day when I stand before God's throne, I got a few questions for that guy. This is what the person said. this smart out pastor sometimes he had good responses he said well i bet i bet that god has a few questions for you we should pay attention not necessarily all the time to the questions that we might ask the questions we might have of god but pay attention to the questions that he asks pay attention to the question that jesus asks in our gospel lesson today it's jesus who is asking this question where are we going to buy bread In order to feed all of these people, 5,000, just counting the men who had followed Jesus far from home, listening to his words, hoping to see a sign, trusting in his promises like sheep following their shepherd, where are we going to find bread? Where can we possibly buy it to feed all of these people? Notice, first of all, the questions that Jesus does not ask. He doesn't start by asking, where am I going to get bread to fill my own belly? He's just as hungry as everybody else. He's not asking, where is my bread? Where are you gonna buy bread to feed all of these people? This has been a theme for Jesus throughout the Gospels. We heard it already at the beginning of Lent, the first Sunday in Lent. There's the devil tempting Jesus 40 days without eating in the wilderness. Why don't you go ahead and turn this stone into bread? But Jesus' first response is not, how can I put something into my belly? But it is instead, how can I obey my heavenly Father In love for his children. After all, resisting temptation for Jesus was a part of his salvation for you. Putting up a fight against the devil, not listening to his lies, that's how he saves you. He wasn't interested in filling his belly. And then as the gospel progresses, there you see Jesus at the wedding in Cana, and what does he do? He turns the water into wine so that all of those at the party can rejoice. Or he visits the woman at the well in Samaria. And he comes to her and he starts by asking her, hey, could I have something to drink? But he says it really to test her because she responds and says, who are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? That's not how this is supposed to work. And Jesus says to her, ah, but if you knew who is speaking to you now, you would have asked him. And he would have given you water that when you drink it, you will never thirst again. He's thinking all the time, obviously, I mean, this is who it is to be Jesus, thinking all the time about what he can give to others. The question he asks is not what can I put in my own belly, but what can I do for those who are in need, those who hunger, those who thirst, those who are in want. Where are we going to buy bread so that we can feed all of these people? It's not that he's afraid of a riot. That might be a reason why somebody would ask that question. Look, if we don't feed these people, they're going to get out of hand, and then we've got trouble. That might have been the way the disciples thought about it. They're going to be upset and grumble, like those people of Israel who said, Look, you brought us out into this wilderness to kill us with hunger. We'd have been better if we'd stayed in Egypt. That's not why he's thinking about this. Not because he's afraid they're going to riot. But because he actually cares that they are hungry. He does not want them to grow weak and faint. He wants to give them good things. He has always been concerned about his people and their needs. It was a marvel that in Exodus chapter 16 the people even thought to grumble against God. After all, what had he done but rescue them from Egypt, from slavery, feeding them with a lamb that died in their place, with bread that was baked in haste so they could escape their slavery. That's what he gave to them. Of course, He would supply them with everything they needed of course even in the desert he could feed them of course his arm is not shortened he defeated all the gods of egypt he cast plagues on pharaoh nothing nothing could stop him from loving his people he has always from the beginning been concerned with their needs that's who it is to be jesus now this crowd that follows jesus they're doing better than israel you don't hear about their grumbling you don't hear about them complaining. Instead, they're just following and listening. But notice this. He doesn't wait for them to begin to suffer. He doesn't wait until they're on their last breath, until they're parched and desperate. But he already now, before they even know that they need to be fed, already now, he asks, where are we going to get bread to feed all of these people? He's thinking about their needs long before they themselves even begin to think about it. Now here's the test. The test was not so much of those people. The test was of his disciples. Have they been paying attention to everything that he has said? Have they been paying attention to who he is and what he is capable of? So notice this. He doesn't ask his disciples, Where are we going to buy bread so that you can eat? He doesn't say, I'm concerned about your stomachs, Philip and Andrew. He says, I want you instead to think about everybody else. Where are you going to buy bread so that all of those people out there can eat? And The disciples knew that Jesus loved people, that he would do anything for them, that he was compassionate, and when he saw somebody who was in need, he was moved to help them. They knew that about him. But look, here's a real crisis. If you asked me where I'm going to get bread to feed myself, I could probably figure that out. Where am I going to get bread to feed all of these people? Philip says, look, not even 200 denarii, 200 days' wages, would be enough to feed all of these people. That's if you had the money, but where are you going to find that bread? Where could you possibly... There's no Walmart with shelves stocked full. You'd need several Walmarts to fill all of those people with bread. Where are we going to get it? Philip throws up his hands in despair. It's impossible. You're asking an impossible question. That's the way despair thinks of things. When Jesus asks, despair says, No way. That's not possible. It can't happen. I don't believe it. But there is another way to despair, and that's what Andrew does. Maybe you chuckled, I chuckle. I can't help but laugh when I hear his response. Hey, 5,000 people, here's two loaves, five loaves and a couple of fish. A, a friend of mine once put it this way. It's like if I said, hey, we're going to have uh, dinner after church here today. Do we have enough food? And somebody reaches in their pocket and says, I got a, I got a thing full of Tic Tacs. How's that going to do? Right? This is what a ridiculous response he makes. It's another kind of despair. Well, maybe something trivial, maybe something too little, maybe aiming too low, maybe this will cut it. Of course it wouldn't. Five loaves and two fish, don't be ridiculous. Andrew, I think he was telling a joke. What a strange and silly thing to say. These two kinds of despair, it's impossible, we can't possibly come up with this much bread. Well, maybe we should start with something too small at all. Maybe we shouldn't even try. We could just fill our bellies, our bellies. We twelve disciples who are close to Jesus, maybe we can get by on five loaves and two fish. Here's what this means for you. Think this through in your life. It is Jesus who asks the questions. Now, the question for you is not where are we going to get bread to feed all these people, but he does ask you some hard questions. How are you, how are you going to love your neighbors? How are you going to love those who are in need, those who are in your life, those who are wanting, those you can see? How are you going to love them Jesus is not asking you this question, the question that we all want him to ask. He's not asking you, what do you want me to do for you to make you comfortable? Or to make life easy for you? Or to please you? Or to fill your belly? He's not asking you that question. He's asking you, how are you going to love your neighbor? He's not asking you, how can I improve your self-esteem? How can I make you feel better about yourself? How can I make you love yourself a little bit more? How can I make you happier, or healthier, or more successful? He's not asking that question. He's asking you, how are you going to love your neighbor? Now this is not some abstract generic question like thinking about some neighbor far away who doesn't have a face or a name, but this is a very specific and narrow question because you know who the people are in your life that you have been called to love. They're your husband or wife, your parents, your children, your brothers and sisters, your friends. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, your co-workers, you've got plenty of people just in your immediate vicinity that you should be busy loving, how are you going to do it? How could you possibly do it? It seems easy enough when everybody's lovable, when they're getting along, when things are comfy, and everybody's happy, but how are you going to do it when things are not comfy? When your people are not lovable? When they hate you? When they say evil things about you? When they mistake your love for hatred. When you just want to belittle and look down on them and blame everything on them. How are you going to love them then? How are you going to love your neighbor? That's the question. How are you going to love them when the love that they need is not the love that you want to give or the love that they want to receive? The example that comes to mind is with children. It's always about children. How are you going to love your kids? Here's how parents love their kids at the dinner table. They feed them vegetables. (laughs) Even when the kids don't want to eat them. Even when they don't want to have the fight about the vegetables. They love them in that way. It's a matter of discipline, right? Parents love their children by disciplining them. Not because it's pleasant or enjoyable. It's nobody's idea of a good time. But that's how parents love their children. How do you love your friends? How do you love your family? It's not always by making them comfortable, or making life easy for them, or pleasing them, or scratching their every itch. But it is most often simply this, telling them the truth. That's how you love the people around you, by speaking the truth. And not just like some sort of brash honesty. Look, I'm going to tell you that your hair really doesn't look good today. But it is the kind of honesty that tells a person what's going on inside of their heart. Look, you are made of the same stuff as me. I know what's in my heart. I know what you need above all else. For sin to be dealt with. For you to see it face to face. For you to receive from Jesus full pardon and forgiveness That's the truth that sets a person free. That's the truth that every last person, without a shadow of doubt, you don't even have to know anything about them. That's the truth that they need. So the question for you is, how can you deliver that truth to them in your love for them? How are you going to do it? How are you going to love your neighbor? Remember, Jesus, Jesus is the one asking the question here. How are you going to do it? Now, like Philip and Andrew, you could despair on either side of the coin here. You could say on the one hand, it's impossible. I can't do it. They're just not lovable enough. I don't have it within me. I'm overwhelmed. I'm frustrated. I'm tired of trying to love. I can't do it. There's too many of them. The needs are too great. How could I possibly satisfy all of those people? How can I possibly give them what they need? You could despair. What would 200 denarii do for all of these people? What would every last ounce of my strength do for these people? How could I possibly love them well enough? You could throw up your arms like Philip. Or like Andrew, you could settle for something trivial. You could say, well, maybe I'll just smile at everybody. How's that? Am I loving them if I smile at them? Or if I think nice thoughts about them? Or if I say something nice to them every once in a while? Is that how I love them? Well, at least when I'm face-to-face with them. That's enough, isn't it? I can talk about them behind their back, can't I? At least I'm nice to them when I see them. Is that how you love? By doing too little? Not enough? At least I'm not hurting them. I'm not hindering them. I'm not getting in their way. Maybe that's enough for me to just stay out of their life. For me not to say anything at all. For me not to hurt their feelings. Maybe that's how I love them. Jesus already knows what he's going to do in our gospel lesson. That's why he asks Philip the question. He's testing him. Do you know? what I'm going to do? Do you know what I can do? That's the question Jesus is really asking. How are we going to get enough bread for all of these people? Well, it's easy. It's easy if you have Jesus. But notice this. Jesus is going to take care of the problem. He's going to take care of the problem, but he does not let the disciples off the hook. He doesn't say, you don't have to think about this. You don't have to care about it. Just don't worry about it. I'm going to do it. But he invites them to trust in Him and so to be the ones who dispense His love. After all, in order for the disciples to take those five measly loaves and those two fish and hand them out to a crowd of 5,000 people, they had to believe Jesus. In order for you not to be stingy at the first person you run into and to withhold something from that person, just to give them a crumb so you can make sure you have enough for everybody, in order for you to give them a full meal that satisfies them entirely, you have to trust Jesus. The disciples had to believe. That there would be enough, because Jesus said so. They had to believe Jesus, and then they had to do what he said. Jesus took the bread, and he gave thanks, and then there was enough. Jesus took what was too little, what nobody could believe, and he turned it into far more than anybody could have hoped for. See what happened afterwards. There was more left over than what they began with. Just imagine more left over than what they started with. Remember, Jesus is asking the question, how are you going to love your neighbor? He's not asking you, how are you going to love yourself? And this is important. He has already taken care of that. There's no question about how you're going to receive love because he has already given all of his love to you. Just look at the cross. See what he gave to you. He spent himself entirely for you. Didn't hold anything back, wasn't stingy, wasn't waiting to make sure that he had enough to go around. He gave it all for you, because of his great love for you. So the question is not, are you going to love yourself, or how are you going to love yourself, or where are you going to get love? You already have it. You have his love from before the foundation of the world. His plan was your salvation from before you were a twinkle in your parent's eye, because he knew what you needed, and he wanted to give it to you. He wanted to forgive your sins so that you would not die, but you would live. He wanted to give himself to you and reconcile you to his father so that he could be with you and not far from you, so that you could remain with him forever. That question is already answered. How are you going to get love? How are you going to love yourself? Forget about it. You've got the love of God. You don't need anything else. But hear this question. How are you going to love? How are you going to live a Christian life? How are you going to believe what God says and then get to work? Well, it is certainly not like Philip and Andrew by throwing up your hands in despair or laughing it off as something impossible and settling for far too little. That is not the answer at all. Despair is the opposite of faith. Instead, listen to God's word and believe. He says, my commandments, which is for you to love your neighbor as yourself. His commandments are not burdensome. Do you believe him? Do you believe him when he asks you to love those around you? Your spouse, your parents, your children, your brothers and sisters, your friends, your co-workers, do you believe that it's not burdensome because you have his love? Do you believe that he will supply what is lacking? Do you believe that he will take what little you have and turn it into far more than you could imagine? Do you believe that if you give without expecting anything in return, if you love and deliver to your neighbors exactly what they need, especially this, the truth of their sin and the truth of God's love for them, The forgiveness of sins on account of Christ, do you believe that He will make it produce abundantly? This question isn't about you. It's not about whether or not you're going to make it, whether or not you have enough. It's a question about whether Jesus will make it, whether He has enough. The disciples believed Jesus because it was not burdensome. Look, He can do anything, He stills the wind and the waves. He heals the lepers. He gives sight to the blind. He opens the ears of the deaf. He raises the dead. For goodness' sake, He can teach you to love. And He can take what little love you have and turn it into more than you could imagine. So go. How are we going to love our neighbors? It's by listening to Jesus. By trusting Him. By believing what He says. By being filled with His goodness. By sitting at His feet and learning from Him what is good and true and holy It is again today eating and drinking his very flesh and blood for the forgiveness of your sins which go with you into the world so that when you love, you're not loving just with your own frail, weak love, but you're loving with the very love of the Son of God himself. Rejoice. Rejoice. You will not be spent in this effort. In fact, there will be more left over afterwards than what you began with. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.